Well, church, let me encourage you, if you would, to go ahead and grab your Bible or grab a Bible that's in front of you in the seat or pull it up on, on your Bible app, on your phone, however you're looking at the, at the Word of God this morning. We want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to 1 Peter near the end of the New Testament. That's where we're spending some time right now. We just started a new series in 1 Peter last week, and we're going we're gonna to be walking through this book for, for several months. And so if you're new to Shades, we want to welcome you in. This is the second week of our our study in First Peter, and we're, we're thankful to have the opportunity just to just make our way through a passage of Scripture like this and let the Word of God speak into our lives what we need to see and what we need to hear. And, and I do want to say welcome to those who are joining us online this morning. We're so grateful to have the opportunity to share this time with you. I want you to know we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper today. As we, as we go through the Word of God, we're going to lead in to an observance of the Lord's Supper. And so if you're joining us online, hey, you've got time to jump in your car right now and come and join us for the Lord's Supper in person. Or you may want to grab some elements in your house if you want to partake of the Lord's Supper with us later in the service. First Peter chapter 1, though, is where we are right now. We've just stepped into this study. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And so I want to read verses 8 and 9 to get us started here in our time in in 1 Peter today. And I'd like to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand with me? This is, this is what we do at Shades each week for the reading of God's Word. We stand together. And the reason we do this is very intentional. We, we want to be reminded every time we gather together and turn our attention to the Word of God as a congregation, as the people of God, that this is our foundation. This is what we stand upon. We're just singing about the, the firm foundation of, of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. And, and it's the word of God that lays before us this, this firm foundation in the infallible, immovable, unchanging scripture. And so we look to the word of God and we see what God says. And this is what we say uh, often. This is what God says is right and good and true. And the reason we say that is there's a lot of different voices fighting for our attention, telling us what, what they believe is right and good and true. And we want to turn to the source. We want to turn to God himself to see what he says is right and good and true. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse eight, it says this, though you have not seen him, this is Peter talking about Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't, do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. We're gonna spend some time talking about what that means. A joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your Souls, what does it mean to live in this life in the current reality that you are facing, the circumstances that you're navigating and walking through? What does it mean to live with an inexpressible joy? Let's pray together. We're going to be seated after I pray, and then we'll spend some time walking through this text. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the privilege that it is now to turn our attention to your word. We thank you for the gift that it is as a church to be able to observe the Lord's Supper. And I pray, Lord, that you'd lead us into this very special ordinance of the church through your word in such a way that we can see what you desire for us to see. Lord, I know as, 
as we're all standing here together in this place, and as people are joining us online, there, there are so many different stories of, of, of struggle and hardship and, and, and difficulty. There are so many different stories of celebration and, and joy. And Lord, I, I believe with all of my heart that, that you and the power of your Holy Spirit can meet us in all of those circumstances. You can meet us in all of our stories and you can show us exactly what we need to see. So use this time for your glory. We look to you. We ask you to move among us in power for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And I want you to know as we spend time in First Peter today, we're, we're still really in the introductory remarks of what Peter writes in this letter. But what, what we see here at the beginning of this letter is we really see the heart of a pastor. Peter knows that as he's writing to the early church, he's writing to a, to a group of, of followers of Jesus who are actually walking through some very difficult circumstances. Peter knows that many in the early church, they're facing persecution. They're facing hardship. They're, they're facing suffering. I mean, you, you can look at this historically. Peter wrote this letter somewhere around 60 to 63 AD. That means it's about 30 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And during that time, the, the, the people of God in the early church, they would have been under Roman rule and Roman authority underneath the, the reign of an emperor named Nero. And Nero was a horrific leader. He took joy in persecuting Christians. He wanted to eliminate the Christian faith off the map altogether. This early church is facing hardship, facing struggle, facing difficulty. And Peter, as he writes, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, he steps right into that struggle. He doesn't avoid the struggle. He doesn't avoid the hardship. He doesn't avoid the difficulty. This is one of the things I love about the word of God. Hey, I, I need to say this. People in the church, sometimes they're not honest. They sometimes put on a show. But the word of God does not. The word of God is honest. Sometimes like painfully honest. The word of God goes straight to the struggle. The word of God confronts us in our reality. The word of God goes straight to hardship and suffering. It, it does not try to say, hey, if, if you are faithful, everything's going to go perfect in your life. No, the word of God says, if you're faithful, you will probably endure hardship. Because hardship and struggle and suffering, that's a reality for everyone in this world, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everyone experiences struggle. Everyone experiences hardship. And the word of God goes straight to that reality. It does not gloss over it. It does not try to act like everything's fine all the time. And here in the book of First Peter, Peter is stepping right into the struggle, knowing that many of his readers, they will be dealing with some, some very difficult things. And so he's taking them to a place in this letter that's going to be a little uncomfortable because it deals with the reality of the pain of life and the reality of struggle and brokenness and suffering and hardship and persecution. 
Peter is saying, hey, we've got to go to some uncomfortable places so that we can see what we need to see. The gospel is honest. The gospel confronts us in our need. The gospel confronts us in our struggle. The gospel confronts us in our sin. And this means that the gospel is often inviting us to go to places that people often want to avoid. I mean, when we start to talk about sin, I'll just be honest, I think many of you would feel this way as well. I just don't like talking about my sin. I don't really like being confronted with my sin. You can ask my wife. I mean, I don't like it when I'm confronted with my sin. All the wives are nodding because all the husbands, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wives, you don't like to be confronted with your sin either, but that's for another day. We'll get to that in 1 Peter chapter three. It's not fun to be confronted with the reality of our sin. We'd rather avoid the reality of our sin because oftentimes when we talk about sin, we start to feel shame. We start to feel condemned. We start to feel judged, all these things that that we don't like. And so we'd rather just, just try to sweep the sin under the rug and act like it's not there and act like we're good to go and act like everything's fine. But the word of God It really doesn't allow us to do that if we're honest. And when the word of God speaks of our sin, the word of God actually speaks this beautiful message of hope. Romans chapter five, verse eight, the word of God says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you wanna know the love of God, you've gotta be honest about your sin. Because in the midst of your sin that Jesus steps in, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sees us in our sin. He knows every detail of our sin and he's done something about it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Many times we don't like to talk about our sin, but the word of God takes us there. You know, it's also true that that most people would rather just avoid pain and difficulty and the struggle in life. I mean, isn't it true that we we really love things to be comfortable, right? I mean, I can just tell you that, that many of the conversations in our own household about our household and about the things that we wanna do and about the things that we want to have, they are conversations about our comfort. And I really can't remember the last time, if ever, we had a conversation where you said, you know what? We just really need some more struggle in our life. We just really need some more pain in our life. No, no, we, we would rather avoid that. We don't want the struggle. We don't want the hardship. We, we want to try and manipulate some Bible verses to say, hey, everything's gonna be easy all the time if you follow Jesus. And yet the reality is that's just not true. In fact, there's gonna be times where it's gonna be difficult because you're following Jesus. The struggle is a reality for everyone. And Peter is reminding us here that the struggle is sometimes heightened for those who are following Jesus. But here's the reality, here's the reality when we're honest about our struggle and we're honest about the difficulty and we're honest about the pain in life, the word of God shows us that we have a savior 
who is not immune from these things, but who willingly stepped into these things so that we could have a place to run to, so that we could have someone to turn to in the midst of our need. The writer of Hebrews says it in such a beautiful way. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We don't have a savior who doesn't understand. We have a savior who perfectly understands. He stepped into suffering. He stepped into the brokenness of this world. He stepped into the need of our lives. He has endured great pain, not because he deserved it, but because we did. And he took that pain, he took that shame, he took that suffering at the cross so that when we struggle and when we go through difficulty, we can know there is a savior who invites us to draw near who comforts us in our affliction, who has grace to help in our time of need. This is, this is what author and theologian Paul Tripp calls the theology of uncomfortable grace. The theology of uncomfortable grace. And this is what he would say is a definition. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. That's what Peter is actually laying before the early church in this letter. Do, do I like to be honest about my weaknesses? No, absolutely not. But God invites me into a place that I really never intended to go to, to come face to face with some of the weaknesses that I wrestle with, why? So that I can see through the good news of the gospel that when I am weak, I actually become strong, not because of what I'm doing, but because of what my savior has done for me. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. When I am weak, then I am strong. Do I, do I want to, to talk about the, the reality of the struggle of life and the suffering that people endure and, and the struggle that I have experienced in my own journey? No, I'd rather avoid those topics. But the word of God reminds me that sometimes grace is uncomfortable and God takes me to places that I never intended to go so that he can do in something, something in me that I could never achieve on my own. It's through difficulty and it is through hardship that we begin to see what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that there is a living hope a living hope who meets us in our need, a living hope who, who, who gives us what we need most, a living hope who rescues us from ourselves, who restores us to himself, a living hope who has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. 
The theology of uncomfortable grace reminds us to let go of the things we often hold on to to open our hands to the things that God knows we need. And this is what Peter is talking about in his letter. Let's look back at the scripture that we started with today. First Peter chapter one, verse eight. Yes, that was an introduction, but we'll now move fast towards the Lord's Supper. First Peter chapter one, verse eight and nine. It says, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Peter's talking about the faith of those in the early church and he's actually applauding their faith. Remember, this was written about 30 years or so after the the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And so many of the believers in the early church, they, they didn't see Jesus with their own eyes. Now, Peter did. He was an eyewitness. There were multiple eyewitnesses to all that took place, but many of them have now passed away. And so Peter is applauding the church saying, your faith is evident. Because even though you can't see Jesus right in front of you, you love him. And you believe in him and it's evident in your life. Your faith is real, it is alive. And then Peter makes this amazing statement about some of those who are in the early church that really points as evidence to their faith. He says, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. This may be one of those places in your, in your Bible that you just wanna underline or highlight, a joy that is inexpressible. This is one of the marks of a follower of Jesus, a joy that cannot be explained, a joy that defies logic and reason in circumstances that are difficult. A joy that is alive and well, even in the midst of suffering or a struggle, a joy that is inexpressible. Because you have found that Jesus truly is enough. Past week and a half or so has been really interesting for me as a father. I know many of you have heard the news reports of the, the two high school students from our community that have passed away in the last couple of weeks. We've watched our, 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 our kids navigating grief and loss for the first time in a real way. And honestly, for Megan and I, it's, it's been very surprising what we've seen because we've watched these students come together in a way that really doesn't make much sense. These students from from Hoover, these students from Helena, these students from from Vestavia, they've been gathering together night after night since losing a friend and losing a classmate and they've they've been worshiping. They've been praying. They've been sharing the gospel with one another. It's it's really not made much sense because this is not the normal way to respond to the loss of a friend. And what we've seen is we've seen an inexpressible joy. 
Friday night was a, was a crazy night for me personally, just getting to watch what God's doing among these students. There was a student-led night of worship that happened here at Shades in our student building. Hundreds of students came together from different high schools, from different churches. Many students that are really not plugged into church came together, fell on their face before the Lord, praying, worshiping, sharing testimonies. I want you to see just a glimpse of that. Just, it just was an incredible picture. I mean, they, they were still going after midnight. I, I had to leave and go to bed. I'm an old man. The students were still worshiping after midnight in the midst of loss, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, there is this inexpressible joy. And, and best we can tell, and this is so much bigger than, than one church or, or one youth group or one school, this is happening right now as a move of God in multiple schools throughout multiple churches. Best we can tell over the last couple of weeks, somewhere over 120 to 150 high school students have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. It's incredible. And it makes no sense. Do you hear this? It's inexpressible. It's unexplainable. When, when tragedy happens, we're supposed to be angry, bitter. Shake our fists at God at the way he failed us. That's what the world would do. But those who have received what Christ alone can provide have received a gift that is so much greater than anything in this world that might be lost or gained. It's a gift that leads to a joy that is inexpressible, a joy that is, that is, that is readily available in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering. Peter is saying, if this is, if this is your story, what Christ has done for you, there are going to be some times where it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very hard. But even in those times, there will be a joy that is yours because of what you have been given through the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is really good news because we live in a broken world. And if our hope is only in the things of this world, we are of all pity or all people most to be pitied. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel invites us to something that is so much greater than what this world has to offer. And you get to see it most beautifully displayed in the midst of the struggle and suffering of this life. So Peter is encouraging the church. You're gonna walk through some difficult times and when you do, there's going to be a joy that people will not understand. There's gonna be a joy that is unexplainable, even inexpressible. You're gonna to have, to, to have to experience it to really understand how beautiful it truly is. Do you have this joy? I just wanna ask you, do you have this joy? Do you have a joy that, that, that really is hard to explain? 
a joy that steadies you in the midst of the storm, a joy that reminds you there's more to this life than just this life, a joy that shows you a savior who has done for you what you could never do for yourself. Do you have this joy? The scripture continues as Peter again is just showing us the beauty of the gospel, the incredible gift of what Christ has done. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or, or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And Peter says it was revealed to them, the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. This is amazing. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now here, here Peter is, he's taking us back. He's asking us to look back on the history of Israel and the history of the people of God, the, the, the Jewish people. And he's saying, remember what the prophets have said. This is something that, that we would turn to our Old Testament, our Old Covenant to see. There is prophecy after prophecy throughout the Old Covenant about the coming Messiah, about the Savior, about what God would do to provide salvation. And there are over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament. They're specifically fulfilled through the, through the life and the, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Peter is saying, hey, the prophets, when they were given a word from God to speak to the people, they, they were trying to understand what, what was really being said. And, and they, had a, they had a glimpse of, of what was going to take place. And then and, and the Lord inspired them through his spirit to, to prophesy the things that would come. But they couldn't see the full picture. They didn't get to see this in fulfillment the way that you and I do. And Peter is saying to the church, do you, do you not understand what a gift you've been given? The prophets gave their life to share of what would happen and they didn't even get to see it in fulfillment. And you do. But the prophets, the prophets were okay with that, Peter says. Because it was made clear to them that they were not serving themselves, they were actually serving you. This is an amazing thing to consider that prophet Isaiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel, they, they laid out what God impressed on them through his spirit to prophesy of the Messiah, of the Savior, of the gift of salvation. And now thousands of years later in Birmingham, Alabama, we are talking about the prophets serving us by showing us the beauty of the gospel. I, I can promise you this. The prophets had no idea how God would use their words and their ministry. They certainly didn't understand that in 2023, in a church in Birmingham, Alabama, we would be talking about the, their ministry. Why? Well, because Birmingham, Alabama didn't exist when they were prophesying, number one. But number two, because there's no way to know what God might want to do through a life of faithfulness 
for the generations to come. And this really is a beautiful thing to consider. And I would challenge us all to think about this often, especially in our world that has such a short attention span and is so focused on the here and the now and really struggles to look down the road beyond today. We have no idea what God might wanna do through our faithfulness to him. You have no idea what your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren may get to experience because of your faithfulness today. I've heard it said this way, sometimes the greatest ministry of our lives is not in the things we do, but it's in the ones we raise. You you have no idea what the great-grandchild of your next-door neighbor may experience one day in the good news of the gospel because you took the time to point a neighbor to the beauty of what Christ has done. We can't see what God can see. We can't see through generations, but, but what we know is that he is faithful for generations. And that God is doing a work today that's gonna to be used tomorrow, that's gonna to be used years from now, that's gonna be used generations down the road in ways that we can't even imagine or even begin to comprehend. And this is part of the beauty of the gospel. That God invites us into something that is so much bigger than ourselves and so much more beautiful than what we could fully comprehend. And so Peter puts an exclamation point on it in the final statement he says in verse 12, the final statement we're gonna look at today before we go to the Lord's Supper. This is the exclamation point Peter uses to emphasize how beautiful and how powerful this gospel that you have received if you are a follower of Christ truly is. What does he say? Look at verse 12. He says, if it was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That's what Peter says. This gospel is so beautiful and so powerful that the angels of heaven long to look at this gospel. Now, I want you to know, I love this statement. I'm no expert on angels at all, but I know they're awesome. And I know they're beautiful. They're not tainted by sin. I know they're majestic because they bring worship to the Lord in heaven. I know they are powerful because they fight a spiritual battle on our behalf. Angels are incredible. And in all their beauty and all their power, the thing that fires up the angels, that the angels long to look at, is the beauty of the gospel. Luke chapter 15 is, has really been a defining passage of scripture in my life and ministry. Luke 15 tells three parables of Jesus. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the two lost sons. 
And at the end of that first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus makes a very interesting statement as he talks about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go to the one sheep that is lost. He finds the sheep, he puts it on his shoulders, he brings it home, he celebrates. And Jesus says this, Luke 15, 7, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do you want to know what the angels of heaven are celebrating? They're celebrating when the power of the gospel raises someone from death to life. The angels celebrate the resurrection. The angels love to see the glory of resurrection. When a life is rescued, when a life is saved, when a life moves from darkness to light, when a life moves from grave to new life, the angels celebrate. This is what you get to receive as a follower of Jesus. This is what you get to walk in as one who is a disciple of Christ. This is a joy that is inexpressible because you have given a living hope through this beautiful gospel that is so magnificent that the angels of heaven long to look at it. And this is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. This is not an empty religious ritual going through the motions. No, this is a opportunity to be reminded of the reason you've been given to worship with an inexpressible joy. This is a reason to be reminded, the invitation to be reminded, the finished work of Jesus Christ that has, that has offered you forgiveness and grace in this beautiful gospel that is really beyond explanation. So will you come and will you, will you worship? And will you remember the reasons you have to be grateful regardless of what you're walking through because of what Jesus Christ has done. We open up these tables to anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of your background. This is an opportunity for you to worship, an opportunity to be grateful for the cross and the power of the resurrection. I do want to say this is a, this is a ceremony for those who are followers of Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, there, there really is no reason to go through motions and do something that you don't believe in. There's, there's no, no shame whatsoever in, in staying in your seat and saying, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not there. But I would ask you to do this. If you're, if you're, not, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe take some time and just pray and just ask the Lord to show you why have I yet to believe? What is it? What is it that I may be holding on to? What is it that maybe I need to trust you with? But if you're a follower of Christ, come and observe these elements. Take and receive the beautiful gift that is this reminder of the finished work of Christ. And let's celebrate and let's worship what God has done for us. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your love. We're so thankful for the Lord's table and the elements that, that show us this beautiful picture of what Christ has done in giving his life at the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so I pray, Lord, now that as we come before you and come to this table, 
to take these elements, that we would do so in spirit and in truth, that we would do so as an act of worship and celebration, that we would be reminded of how beautiful this gospel truly is. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.